Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always joined by our guy, Wes Davenport, who will be very involved in this episode as we take your, not even questions, I guess it was your plans moving forward for this Detroit Pistons team. But first, Omari, I do want to look back just real quick because I've seen a lot of talk of people taking victory laps, I guess, Omari, in terms of should have known that Troy Weaver in the front office was in the wrong direction. There was moves three years ago and all of these bad moves along the way. And I just wanted to say, Omari, and if you want to comment on this, you can. If not, we can move on. If you saw it, and I'm not talking to you, Omari, I'm just saying in general, if you're one of those people that saw this three years ago, like good for you, but I'm not going to feel bad that I gave Troy Weaver in the front office time and was patient to, I guess, play out their vision. Or, and I'm not going to critique others that were, to watch it play out. Because I think at the end of the day, if you're going to hire a GM, you have to give them a few years before you really critique the overall plan. And yes, we are at this point. And we've said, Omari, that eventually this point was going to come. Do the draft picks pan out? Do the free agency moves happen? Does he do the right things with the cap space? There were absolutely individual moves along the way to question, but I still felt like big picture there was a chance and I don't feel bad at all that I've kind of stayed bought into the course of this organization in this front office. And I'm not even saying that they still can't get it right. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about, we're only 20 games into this season. I'm not saying they can't, but I'm I'm not critiquing anybody for saying, Hey, I, I was bought into this. I wanted to see it play out. And I think they should see it play out. You don't hire a GM and then fire them two years later. Like you let them play it out for better, for worse. And, and I'm okay with that. And those of you that saw these from the beginning, that it was the wrong direction, good for you. Um, you know, maybe you know more than us, but I, I don't feel bad at all for kind of just letting this play out and kind of following it with its course. No, I mean, I think it's natural to give any new situation the benefit of the doubt, you know, until you really can't. And obviously this season, uh, losing 17 straight will produce a lot of that. So, yeah, I mean, there were people who, you know, were in my mission two years ago, like, I have no faith in this. This isn't going to work. And, you know, still TBD on that. You know, obviously it's not looking good right now. But you didn't know for a fact two years ago. Come on. Like, you didn't know for a fact. Nobody knows for a fact anything. I mean, you know, it's kind of like how in the draft, a yes. guy may be, be, become a bust and then people are like, see, I told you he wasn't going to pan out. It's okay, but you were wrong about some other ones too. So, no victory laps yet. We're only seven weeks in, six, seven weeks in. And we have a fun one today. So, I'll hand it back over to Wes and Bryce. Wes is going to take us through this as we put out some requests for... We know mistakes have been made, guys. This team is 2-18. and 18. Nobody can sit here and say, and I think you wrote this, Amari, that this thing is going the way anybody wanted it to go. The fan base, the ownership, the front office, the coaches, the players. Nobody can sit here on December 4th and be happy with where this thing is at. We can all agree on that. Whether we foresaw it or not is a different conversation. But we spent a lot of time looking back. And this was actually from a comment during the last live where somebody said, we're spending a lot of time talking about the current roster. Shouldn't we be talking about the players they could add? And that really resonated with me. So we put out a filler on Twitter and we said, give us your game plan. What would you do? You get hired into the front office. What would you do over the next four, six months, whatever it is, to get this thing headed in the right direction? What trades, free agent signings this offseason, 
roster construction, whatever it is. So Wes is going to present those. Omari and I are going to talk about them, analyze them, break them down. Wes will put in his thoughts as well. Maybe ask some follow-up questions as we talk about it. So Wes is going to kind of navigate us here. And then Omari and I will give us our thoughts. If you are watching us live, drop your comments as well. Let us know what you think about each of these plans. But Wes, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Let's jump right into it. And Omari, we'll toss this one your way first. This is from Data Driven Pistons fan. And he just kind of, in general, wants them to be patient, you know? So we'll kind of start off with a whimper here. No moves, nothing for at least into the offseason. He thinks they need the full season to really evaluate what they have. Do you think that that's the right approach for, for both of you? But Amara, you first. I think there's merit to just letting this play out because if you're not, if the rebuild's not where it needs to be, that means your young guys aren't where, where they need to be. And does that just mean another year of seasoning? It could, it may not, you don't know. But I think just letting this play out, and if, if you truly are that bad, then that gives you a lot of information for the following summer, right? Okay, we need to probably bring the slash hammer to certain parts of this because clearly somehow we built an eight-win team or whatever <laughs> their pace is on. I would expect that they're not going to continue that pace for the rest of the year. But long story short, I think there's merit to just letting it playing out and seeing where this team is during the offseason. You have money to remake the roster however you want. And on top of that, it's an organic way to get a, a, a pick. And I know we're saying this draft doesn't have guys who are as well regarded. But, you know, you look at that years down the line and sometimes those drafts end up being pretty, pretty good. So even having a top five pick in this one would still help the rebuild as a whole. So that's boring. I know people are like, no, we got to do a lot more than that. But I'm fine with just being patient and letting the season play out. I want to be in the... let we, We've seen Boyan for one game, right? And at the end of the day... It didn't end up in a win, but I think we saw what Boyan could bring to this team, right? All of a sudden, you don't have this gap in scoring from 22 a game Cade to 12 a game Jay Nivey or Asar, you know, it switches. It's funny, Omari, I recorded with the Cleveland Cavalier, Bob Schmidt, the other day. And I was looking at the Cavs points per game guy. They have five or six guys from Donovan Mitchell to 12 points a game. And it was just amazing to see in that comparison to what the Pistons have from Cade Cunningham to the 12-point-a-game guy, Jay Nivey, Jalen Duran, those guys. And so I think we saw a little bit of what Boyan could help this team be. But again, it didn't end up in a win. I still think Monte Morris would contribute to some of that as well. So I could understand if they think Monte Morris is going to get back, if they think some of these younger guys like Cade will figure out the fourth quarter stuff, Amari. That's a big part of this. Like the fourth quarter struggles are real, at least so far this season. If you think you can organically grow that, I can see that. I can understand the argument to continuing just to move forward with what you have right now. It's just really hard to pitch that and stay that course if it's another 2-18 and 18 over the next 20 games. I mean, like, at some point, desperate times do call for a desperate move. You know, Wes and I were texting about this. Maybe it's a little bit crazy. Maybe it's even a little bit irrational, Amari. But at some point, it's just like you have to do something, whether it ends up being the right decision or not. Yeah, because what it seems like they're dealing with now to an extent is just when losing really just infects the organization to an extent. I mean, they lost 23 over the last 25, and then they did have a lot of injuries coming into this season. No bogey, no Monte, obviously. And then Jalen Duran missed some games, took him a while to get back to where he's at. And I thought he got back to some of that on Sunday. But as a whole, or Saturday, the game on, on Saturday, but 
I think there's merit to just seeing where this team can go. You know, maybe the young players grow, maybe this or that. But I think along with that, if you really do feel as though it's an issue with the culture, and then you probably do have to shake some things up just to set a new precedent. It's not a one-one comparison, but obviously the Grizzlies trading for Marcus Smart was very much a we need to put on our bootstraps and get back to work and leave some of this foolishness, foolishness behind, right? So not quite a one-on-one scenario there, but there are moves the Pistons can make to get a few more adults in the room and maybe uh, stabilize things a bit. Yeah, and I think for me, a quick shout out here from Brazil. So it's always cool to see all the people from all over the world that are tuning in live, listening. Even if you don't tune in live, if you're just listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever it is, we appreciate that. Yeah, I I think there's some merit. I don't even know when Monte Morris is going to end up playing. I know it was like another six, eight weeks. So maybe that's not even a factor. I would like to see what this team looks like for the next few weeks with Boyan in the lineup, with Duran healthy, with Jaden Ivey, confident or what I keep using the word confident. I don't know what the right word is. I would like to see the Jaden Ivey I thought we were going to see this year. Maybe we don't ever see that. Maybe I don't evaluate basketball very well. Maybe he's not as good as what I thought he was, but I would like to see it for a few weeks and then decide what the major move is. I still think there's probably a move no matter what, but I think seeing what it looks like with Boyan in the lineup, maybe with Alec Burks actually playing well, that would help as well. You know, like you get those things going. Wes, I know you have something you want to add on here. So yeah, I give that to us and we'll, we'll jump off with that. Yeah, I just want to ask you guys quickly here before we move on to the next like trade proposals and all that. But, you know, if the team decides to be patient, they don't make any moves and you finish out the season winning, you know, say 20 games again, do you think the regime makes it? You know, are there not firings? Like, it's kind of a tough spot that they seem to be in. And I'm just asking if the job security you think might play a factor here, for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, if you lose, if they have a season where there's no progression at all, then that's let's assume like bogey's playing, and you finally get to a point where you're healthy, and you can realistically expect this team to be competing. Uh, I mean, the front office said at the beginning of the season we want to be competing every night, and that was the goal. That was the goal last season. They didn't reach it, and they did lose K, so that was the reason why. But if you have bogey and K this year, and you know, you look at what you did this last offseason, you could have upgraded the roster probably more than you did. You preserved that another year forward. And you're in year four of this thing, and you haven't cracked 23 wins since, what, the 2017-18 season? You have to have some serious debates at that point whether this is still worth investing in. Because it means that the players probably didn't take the steps forward that you wanted to see. And, you know, that's a talent evaluation issue. But I think as a whole, you got to have that debate if you're the front office. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, letting this front office play out the season gets you a chance to truly evaluate them and maybe for the final time. But you played this thing out. How? Who is Cade Cunningham? I also want to say this, though. Nobody wanted to give Troy... Nobody will give Troy Weaver credit for drafting Cade Cunningham number one. I've had this conversation countless times. What has Troy Weaver done? He got Cade Cunningham at number one. Nobody would give him credit for that. So you also can't critique him for anything around Cade Cunningham if that's the case. We can't do it both ways. But you can Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, the Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman trade, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, like letting this season play out lets you really evaluate Troy Weaver in the front office and their ability to draft guys, especially, and not all the guys I listed weren't, but especially guys in the lottery. And then 
Did the moves he made this summer, does Joe Harris eventually come back and actually provide floor spacing or is he legitimately $20 million salary dump? Is Boyan Bogdanovich still a dude that was worth keeping around and not selling at his highest point? And real quick, Boyan's contract, he is $2 million guaranteed next year and it's $20 million fully guaranteed, but they could get off of that with just $2 million in dead money. And so I, I think there's something to be said for letting him go through the trade deadline, Amari, and seeing if he can make the move that helps this team get a little bit better on the margins and then knowing, okay, he was able to do it, the vision worked, he, it didn't work, and then go into the offseason fresh and really find out for sure. No doubt. Let's get to the second props here, Wes. Yeah, absolutely. So this next trade here, this is from uh, Pistons Thoughts on Twitter. He's proposing a deal with the Utah Jazz. So the Detroit Pistons would get Laurie Markkinen and Chris Dunn, and Utah would get Jaden Ivey, Alec Burks, and Isaiah Livers. Bryce, what do you think about that one? I mean, listen, Lowry is one of my favorite ideas right now for this team. And I know people are saying, you don't trade for a star whenever you're the worst team in the game. Like, I get it. I understand it. I also want to say I don't think this gets it done for Lowry. I don't think that's I don't think that's going to get it done for him. I think you have to add in draft capital and I think this is a good point to stop right here and just say the Pistons I think can trade one future first because of the protections on the pick owed to the Knicks. And what would it take to then get released of those protections? So I just want to say, I don't think that gets it done. And I don't think they have the draft capital unless they were able to then trade something else to the Knicks to get those protections removed. And as Resball TV says here, please don't trade any of Ivy, Kate, Asar, Stu, and Duran. I'm kind of in a similar boat. I have a little bit of a different take whenever we get there a little bit more. But Amari, I want to see what you think on this first. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're the Pistons, this is basically your version of what the Kings did when they swapped Tyler Burton for a bonus, right? It's, you know, we probably have a Duffy Young guy, so let's get an established guy in here who, who we know can play and win us some games and see where it takes us. And then you look at what a marketing and uh, during front court will look like. And of course, I could be a very dominant front court in a couple of years of not you know, this season, depending on how Jalen Duran progresses. But I agree with uh, Michael Dompier here. I just don't think Utah says yes to that. I think they would need at least a first-round pick to even sniff that trade because otherwise you're getting Alec Burks, which is an expiring, and Isaiah Livers, who is a solid player. But you need a little bit more asset-wise than I think what Utah is, is accepting there. Yeah, so Michael said, Keith Smith said you can do trade language to use the 2024 first-round pick in trades despite the conveyance. Yes, like I know there's a way to like, it's one through 18 protected with the Knicks. And so then if you trade it to somebody else, it's, it can be very complicated. At the end of the day, it's not as valuable as what some first-round picks could be. So yes, there are some ways. I just don't think they have the pick asset to do it. You mentioned kind of what I want to talk about here before we get into some of the other ones in terms of, at what point do you have enough young guys or too many young guys, Amari, where you can't feel like you can develop all of them? So I don't want to trade Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey is really good. This whole situation through 20 games is making me question whether I know basketball or not based off the way they're handling him. But if they don't see him as like a backcourt mate to Cade Cunningham, a starter, those type of things... Would you not, is there some validity, Amari, to saying maybe we do need to trade one of these young guys 
because you're about to get a 2024 first round pick also to add to it. That's now five lottery picks. Plus they seem somewhat invested in Killian Hayes, obviously invested in, in Isaiah Stewart. They're showing some investment in Isaiah Livers and obviously Marcus Sasser. Like how many of these guys can you invest in? And at what point do you say, hey, maybe it is time to trade one of these young guys Jay Ivey, probably the most trade value other than Cade. And I know we'll talk about that later and get somebody with a little bit more veteran experience. I think when evaluating your young players, there's two aspects to it, right? One is just the uh, sheer financial aspect of it. You can't extend all of these guys. Uh, so that's just the reality. You do the math and you realize at some point there's going to be a crunch and uh, somebody's going to be on their way out. But I think along with that, it's, what rose on the team are these guys feeling. And I and I think if you look at it from a, we have ball handling, we have, you know, scoring at the guard position. So what's, so where's the overlap, right? You know, I think there's a lot of overlap in that guard spot, especially with Marcus Sasser. That's not necessarily there for if they had a, a wing shooter uh, who was on their uh, first or second year, right? So I think a lot of that is just not contract, but what rows are being filled and if any are being duplicated, then you probably look at swapping one of those for somebody who does what you need, like Sabonis and Halliburton. Yeah. No, listen, Larry Markin, I think would be awesome. I think I looked at the contract the other day and he's on the books at a really good number next year. And then obviously you're going to have to pay him. Like they're, you're not trading for Lowry and then not extending him. I think he fits the roster really well. I just don't think they have the assets to go get him. Wes, let's go ahead and dive into another one here, unless you have some follow-ups on that, and then we'll see where we can get that before the break. Well, I just wanted to give everyone a, a peek behind the producing curtain really quickly. Because that conversation went so poorly, that trade was not actually offered by Pistons Thoughts. He just said to go get Lori Markinen. It was me who put together that trade proposal, <laughs> and it kind of got lit up. So I just want to make sure he knows, like, that was me. It's not him. All good. Our next one was from... Max on Twitter, this is a deal with the Mavericks. The Pistons would get Tim Hardaway Jr. and Josh Green. The Mavericks would get Bojan, Livers, and a second-round pick. Omari, what do you think about that one? I'd definitely say yes to that. Uh, Josh Green uh, had a really solid breakout season last year. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., we know what he does. He could, you know, shoot with the best of them and really heat up. Uh, you're giving up Boyan, who's on an expiring deal. Well, essentially an expiring deal, seemingly guaranteed next year. And I actually have to check Tim Hardaway's contract numbers and see what he has left on his deal. But, you know, as far as I can tell you, you're getting a really good young guy in that, and you're giving up, you know, a solid young guy you have in a second, but... Josh might be the best player in that deal in a few years. And then Boyan may not be here next season anyway. So I don't know if, if the Mavs say yes to that. Yeah. You know, I think the Mavs probably need a bit more if they're tossing Josh Green in there. But from the Pistons standpoint, that's a pretty solid deal. Yeah, so I've tried to navigate this because I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is super important to what the Mavericks do the more games I've watched. Obviously, Luka's the most important. Kyrie Irving, the rookie there, Derek Lively the second, has been huge for them. But Tim Hardaway Jr. essentially comes off the bench, and I believe he's their three third leading scorer by a wide margin. And his job is just to get buckets. He comes in and he just flat out gets buckets, and he's done a pretty decent job of it. Not that Boyan couldn't do that for them. And then I really like Josh Green. So even if you say Tim Hardaway Jr. and Boyan are a wash, I don't even know if I would, 
But I think Josh Green is way more proven in this league than Isaiah Livers right now. And I don't know if a second round pick, even though Michael brings up that that second round pick will be high in the second round. I don't know that that's working. A high second round pick is very valuable to a team like the Dallas Mavericks, though. I will say that. And Tim Hardaway Jr. has one more year after this year. He's on a decreasing salary, guys. So he only has $16 million on the books for next year where he'll be 32. I just, to me, this would come down more to the Josh Green upgrade over Isaiah Livers. I'm a little bit in the camp of, I don't want to see these just marginal improvements. If they're going to make a, a move, I would like to see it be something bigger than that. I think Josh Green is better than Isaiah Livers, but I don't think that's necessarily what I'm looking for if they do make a move. And I don't know that I see Tim Hardaway Jr. being like a major upgrade over Boyan other than, other than the health stuff which is a very fair and accurate and reasonable take. Like you get one more year of him at a smaller number because if you kept Boyan next year, it would actually be for more than what you would pay Tim Hardaway Jr. So I understand that part of it. No doubt. How much time do we have here? Should we get to segment two? Yeah, let's go ahead and we will go to a short break. When we come back, Wes, if you have any follow-ups to this specific one, go ahead and throw those out. If not, uh, we'll go on to the next one. All right, we are back with segment two, and we have another trade here that would bring in a star, it looks like. So go ahead and lead us off, Wes. I'm actually going to open this up with with two from the Bulls uh, in a row. So the first one is from Doju Mars on Twitter. The Pistons would get Zach Levine, who's been kind of a a hot name on the online trade market. And the Bulls would get Jaden Ivey, Joe Harris, and James Wiseman. Bryce? Uh, what do you think value-wise there for Levine? Yeah, I mean, you and I have had this conversation, Wes, and I got pretty heated the other day I, whenever you and I were messaging back and forth about it. I put out a poll because I, I truly wanted to see what where the fan base was. Are, are people in on Levine? Are they in on Levine at the right price? Are they completely out on Levine? Or do they think that the idea of a Zach Levine is down the right track? I think what won was I would do the trade at the right price. But the one that interests me the most is I think this is the track I'm more looking at, even if it's not necessarily Zach Levine. Now, my argument for Zach Levine is I don't care about a lot of the stuff people don't like. I think this team needs a bucket getter. I think this team needs a guy that can get a bucket. And Zach Levine can get a bucket. Now, if you're worried about the health issues, I get it. If you're 100% out because of his knees, good, cool, I'm okay with it. I don't love the contract. I don't love that he's not the best passer in the world. Cade Cunningham can pass the ball. Killian Hayes can pass the ball. Those guys can pass the ball. Zach Levine doesn't play defense. That's why you drafted a Sar Thompson at number five. Cade Cunningham, if you get Zach Levine, now has more energy to go be a more impactful defender, which is what I kind of thought was his role all along. So I can make the argument for Zach Levine in that he would do what I think this team needs the most, but I think it's more of that's the track I would want to go down. That might not necessarily be the exact player that I want to do it with. 
So the question to me boils down to, do you think Jaden Ivey will grow into a player eventually who will be better than Zach Levine? Because that is a pretty lofty bar. Levine's one of the better scorers in the NBA. And then I think along with that, you consider what Levine is making now, which sure, like he's on a big deal for a lot of years. But at some point, you're going to have to make a decision on Jaden Ivey one way or another. Uh, do you try to lock him? Let's say he doesn't make a leap into stardom by year three. Do you try to extend him early and just kind of take a bet on it? Or what exactly do you get there? You're not getting that certainty that you get with Zach Levine. So you have Ivy, you have Joe Harris, who hasn't shot the ball that well. And then you have James Wiseman, who's the fourth big on this team. Also towards the end of the bench, you're getting a star back. Like to me, that's a trade I'm definitely doing. You know, I don't know if the Bulls do that. Like, again, I think when you talk about assets, you need at least two going forward and, with Ivy, you got to include a first-round pick in there at the very least. I just don't see why Chicago does that. I mean, if it's just for the cap flexibility, which there is something there. But again, I just can't imagine they would salary dump him when he still has uh, four more years when you could probably get something better over the summer. Mel75 says, my thing is don't trade Ivy until you see him in a way to see if he can be a bucket getter. If he can't, then maybe go down. Mel, I'm 100% with you. I- I'm so confused on this because in my opinion... As an outsider who just sits on my couch and watches the games, it doesn't look like the organization believes in him that way. Or at least Monte Williams, whoever it is, doesn't seem to think of him that way. I did think, I thought Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey were the backcourt of the future for this team. I th- thought they were going to be one of the best young backcourts, young backcourts in the NBA for the next couple of years and then just grow together. It just doesn't seem like That is the path. It doesn't seem like I was right about that. And so I think there is some value in if you don't think that's who Jaden Ivey is, trade him while there is that value, while maybe the rest of the league still believes in him. So I still, I am, I may be the biggest Jaden Ivey believer in the Pistons content creation, podcasting, fandom, whatever. I just, I also know that like he has to play. And if he's only going to play 20 minutes a night and you can trade him for a star, whether that's Zach Levine or somebody else, like you probably have to consider it, right, Omari? Like at, at a point, it just doesn't make sense. If he's not going to be the dude or he's not going to be used the way you expect him to, then it's better to use him as an asset to get something else. That That's kind of where I'm at. But I don't want that to happen. I want to see Jaden Ivey succeed in Detroit. No doubt. Yeah, so people made some comments that I'm looking at now, and I agree, uh, which is basically that can the Pistons maneuver and get a player better than Zach Levine over the next X years? Because at some point, you're going to have to commit to K, well, actually, you know, next season, (laughs) probably if you're extending him before the season starts. So I would say I think it's a good deal for Detroit. You know, if you really believe in Jaden Ivey and think he's going to get to that, like, level of star, then maybe you keep Jaden Ivey. But along with that, what would that next Jaden Ivey contract look like? You know, by the time he's extension eligible, you may end up paying around that anyway. And Levine is a shirt thing. I'm not saying, this is not me advocating, you know, trade Jaden Ivey. I'm saying if you are offered a trade and you give up one player, one young player in exchange essentially for a bona fide star, that's a pretty straightforward deal. Yeah, and, and again, I want to be very clear. The reason Zach Levine is intriguing to me is, One, it does sound like his trade market is somewhat low. And 
you could get him for a, a Jaden Ivey. Now, what people will say is there's a reason his trade market is low and you guys are absolutely correct. He just fills the void that I think has the, been the biggest miscalculation for this organization coming into the season. Mel 75, again, yeah, 20 minutes, eighth on the team in field goal attempts. That is so weird to me. Like the fact that Jaden Ivey is eighth on the team in field goal attempts is just crazy to me. Did not see that coming at all. So Wes, any follow-up questions, any thoughts of your own on this, or do we want to go ahead and move to the next one? I did have a follow-up here before we jump to our next uh, Bulls-Pistons trade that, that someone uh, had suggested on Twitter. With, you know, we've seen a few Jaden Ivey trades already. We've talked about Sabonis for the Kings a couple of seasons ago, right? How that trade kind of helped them lift up because it was a young player for a star. And this Levine for Ivy loosely seems in the same mold. So the question is, do you guys think that of the four young and really valuable players that this Pistons team has, is Jaden Ivy maybe the most likely kind of candidate here to fall on that altar? Or is it maybe someone else? It kind of goes back to what I said earlier about Rose, right? And you evaluate what gaps can you fill. Jaden Ivey is a really good player. You know, I think he's somebody that could absolutely fit with Cade or whoever else, especially if his shot sticks and he continues to get better on defense. But I think the thing is, if Cade becomes who we think he could be, if Killian continues what he's doing, at that point, how much more capital could you invest in a young player? And it's probably a lesser version of what OKC went through with James Harden and Westbrook and Durant, right? You can't pay all, all of these guys. And they probably jumped the gun on trading <laughs> Harden too, too soon because they didn't get equal value back. But the point is, it's, it usually just comes down to position. I think back then, OKC was like, we have Westbrook. You know, we don't necessarily need a second ball in there. So we're going to keep Westbrook and Durant. You know, the Pistons, if you have K, you have Kill, um, and you're paying them a pretty healthy amount of money. Can you really afford to pay Ivy and pay Durant and pay Asar and pay these other guys who are more like specialists on this team? Because nobody's really threatening Durant for his spot and nobody's really threatening Asar for his spot because he just does stuff that most rookies, I don't know, players can do. Yeah, I've thought about this one as well. And I think I want to wait on the Cade one. Are we going to get to the Cade conversation? I know there was one that was talking about potentially trading Cade. So I'll, I'll wait on that. I guess it is Ivy. Even though I still, again, want to reiterate how good I think he is, I think he probably returns the most right now. Asar has been everything we've talked about every single podcast, but there are real offensive limitations with Asar Thompson right now with his shooting. It's also been weird to see him the last couple of games. He's come off the bench and it just hasn't seemed to be as effective and as impactful. I know foul troubles have all of a sudden snuck up on him as well, which does happen to rookies. Jalen Duran is a walking double-double, but it probably would depend if a team sees the ultimate ceiling for Jalen Duran that we've talked about at times. So I guess it's probably Jaden just because of a lot of the things Amari just outlined as well. So yeah, and Asar also with the broken face. I've had to play a game with the mask before. It's really not as easy as Rip Hamilton made it seem like for the, you know, all of those <laughs> years in his career. It really messes with your depth perception and stuff. So um, give him a little bit of a benefit of that on that one as well. But I, I guess it probably is Ivy. And that's why it always seems like he's the one that gets... Because I don't think we got any trade. I don't think I've seen a single trade Asar or Jalen Duran. I've seen a bunch of Jaden Ivy. And in general... I've seen more than I would have believed at this point of trade Cade Cunningham's as well, but never a Sar or Jalen Duran. So what do we got next, Wes? 
right before we do, Bryce, I've played almost my entire college career with a mask. It's not as bad as you think. <laughs> no, it I disagree was with you on that one. I, I was a mask man for sure. Um, all right, next one here from, sorry, Midrange ISO on Twitter. The Pistons would get Patrick Williams. The Bulls would get Killian Hayes. Omari, what do you think about that one? So here's the thing. There's the idea of Patrick Williams, and then there's the actuality. And at this point, Killian, to me, is a pretty proven NBA player. He, you know, people came, he came in, people thought he would be this and that. But I think if, just the way he's played this season, he's been really solid. And he's absolutely a, a rotation point guard. So uh, that gives him some value. Patrick Williams, do we know that he would be as effective as Killian on average, I don't know if I'm there yet. And to me, if I'm making this trade, it is an acknowledgement that I don't want to extend or I guess sign Killian this summer and uh, we'd just get something else and take a flyer on Patrick Williams and see what we can get out of them. So I guess to me, that would also you know imply that, that Ivy and Sasser comprise the rest of your backcourt going forward. So I was going to like turn it down, but now I feel like I may be talking myself into it. I'm not sure. Can I like? Can I do a TBD and come back? I don't know if I. I, I, I got to think about it. I got to. It's check a little Patrick bit of Williams a stat. roster construction, right? Yeah. Like, so like, I, I just looked up his stats, and they're like he's right around ten points a game for his career. He was. I think the three point percentage has actually gone up. At one point, it was really bad. He's still a career forty percent three point shooter. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at this point, you would just have to make the trade and bet on what you think Patrick Williams can still be. Now, here's another component of all of this. I believe they were the same draft, right? So what is Killian Hayes going to want in a contract? And what does Patrick Williams think he's worth? And if Patrick Williams is wanting to get paid based on his potential or his representation would say, hey, the Chicago Bulls were playing me wrong. They weren't using me correctly. I'm worth this amount of money. There's a component of that as well in terms of how much of a contract would you have to give Patrick Williams? And so that would be really interesting. Also, if you're going to keep Jaden Ivey, I know a lot of this has been talking about trading Jaden Ivey, but if you're going to keep Jaden Ivey and you're going to really invest in Marcus Sasser, like that doesn't mean you can't also invest in Killian Hayes, but maybe there is an argument to not needing to keep Killian around, even though we've seen him play really decent at times, but there might be an argument, go get a guy that can really play the four, which we, I think we all believe this team is really lacking. So that would be interesting. You know, 12 months ago, I feel like this is a heart be yes. It's crazy to think that Patrick Williams has struggled enough that we're even kind of having a conversation right now. Yeah, I look at that 32% shooting from three and it's just like this has a, a chance to be similar to, you know, the trade they made for Wiseman earlier where you're giving up a player who's a known commodity, you know what you're getting and you're taking a flyer on a player who may not be that. And then you also have a pretty small evaluation window uh, for Patrick Williams as well. So to me, I only make that trade if I'm just deciding definitively that I'm comfortable with a K-Ivy Sasser backcourt and you just capitalize and get something for Killian while you can before he hits restricted free agency. So Doug McMinniman says, do you guys miss Casey now? I just want to say, we did this last podcast where we kind of said, listen, Dwayne Casey took a lot of heat for a lot of things, including Killian Hayes. And, you know, 
now it's it, it's kind of different. I think some of us owe Dwayne Casey an apology for some of that stuff. But it's it's fascinating again to me that we had that much of a debate over Patrick Williams, Killian Hayes, when again last year when he was really shooting the ball well. You know, like I don't even think it would have been a discussion. No, not at all. Take us away, Wes. Next one coming up from Yoshtown Sports on Twitter. This is another one kind of on the margins. So it's between the Pistons and the 76ers. The Pistons would get KJ Martin. The Sixers would get Isaiah Livers and a second round pick. Bryce, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is one of those where I'm just going to stay away for the most part. And I think that's kind of where I was with the last one also. In terms of, I'm not really looking to just play around with some things like this. If there's going to be a move, like something like this would be fine, right? But if there's going to be a move, like let's see a real move, something that really substantially moves the needle. And this isn't one that necessarily does it for me. Like KJ Martin's a fine player. I wish I still had as much belief in Isaiah Livers as I did at one time. But I don't know that I want to send out a second round pick along with Isaiah Livers to make a move that I don't believe moves the needle that much. I think the reason I considered the Patrick Williams one was maybe there truly is something there that like could move the needle, but it's still very much like kind of a crapshoot. So this isn't necessarily one that gets me super excited um, as some of the other ones we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't do it. I think KJ Martin for Isaiah Livers at best is a lateral move. I think Livers has probably shown more glimpses of being a legit rotation player so far than K.J. Martin has, and there's just really no reason to sacrifice a second-round pick to take a flyer on K.J. Martin. Maybe you just trade your second for K.J. Martin straight up, but I think a player and a second is probably too much for a guy that you're just trying to get a read on. So from Will J, stop by to show some love. We'll listen tomorrow at work. Love the show, guys. Appreciate you, Will J. I I know you always stop in when you can, and feel like this is a couple times where you've just stopped by to say that you were trying to tune in or you would listen later. So we appreciate that very much. I saw somebody else here that was talking about the big moves. Yeah, Chuck Brewer. If we trade, it needs to be for a serious upgrade. Trades to shuffle the cards, getting tired of. I I can understand that a little bit. Like I'm a little bit there as well in terms of just these ones that, okay, maybe it makes an improvement. Maybe it doesn't. I think it's time to make a real move. Where are you at with that, Amari? Even if it's not right now or right at the trade deadline, you know, even if it's in the off season, do you think it's time to go ahead and take one of those swing for the fences type moves? You know, they've swung for the fences on a, a few guys and some have hit to an extent and some haven't. I think at this point, you know, you have another lottery pick more than likely coming. At this point, I think I'm just more so looking for proven guys. Look at what Houston did and you got uh, Fred Van Fleet in there. You got Dylan Brooks. They got some veterans who know how to play, know how to, know how to run the system in. And it's paid off for them. I think the Pistons are at that point now to where it's not, necessarily try to mine the best young guy you could find. They have a lot of young guys on the roster and they've swung for defenses for three and a half years at this point. I think it's worse. So let's get some vets who we know can fulfill their roles and we can increase our floor. Yeah, I like that. Let's stop playing around with guys who may be able to play the James Wiseman's, those type of... Let's go find guys that can actually play that can really help this team win. And again, I know we've gotten called out about the Houston Rockets thing. And and listen, like sometimes you're wrong about things. I didn't see the vision for what they did this offseason. Now it seems, oh, okay, this makes sense. You way overpaid for Fred Van Vliet, but you know what you have? You have a stabilizing veteran point guard that's running the show down there and helping the young guys. Dylan Brooks is doing exactly what you would want. He's not jacking 20 shots a night. He's playing competitive defense, like all of those things. And through how many ever games they've played, it's really working out well for them. I just want to say, like, 
Monte Morris isn't Fred Van Vliet, but Monte Morris is a decent point guard in the NBA and would help be a stabilizing force in some of these situations we've seen with this team. But we do need to go to a break. When we come back, we'll get into a few more of these during the final segment. All right, we are back with segment three. We have 20 minutes to get through as many proposals as we can. So Bryce, lead us off. Wes is going to lead us off. Yeah. Wes, yeah. lead us off. I'm leading this off, Amar. Wes, I'm leading us off. off. All right. <laughs> we got, you know, actually, I don't know if this is really a big move or a marginal move or not. This is probably somewhere kind of in the middle. So this is another one from Yoshtown Sports. And we also got note that Craig G on Twitter did suggest something like this as well. So shout out to him. But it's between the Pistons and the Blazers. The Pistons would get Malcolm Brogdon. The Blazers would get Marvin Bagley. Killian Hayes, and two second-round picks. So essentially, salary dump kind of move for Brogdon there. Um, Bryce, what do you think about that one? Yeah, so I want to pull up Brogdon's contract real quick here. So he's on the books for 22.5 and then 22.5 again next year. Michael brings up a good point here. You bring in Brogdon, does he block Jay Nivey? I wonder if Brogdon would be okay coming off the bench, though. And then now you do have a really good bit. I don't think there's any denying who the best player in this trade is, right? And so, like, you want to win a trade by getting the best player. I think Malcolm Brogdon is a really good player. I know there's some injury stuff, like when the Clippers were trying to acquire him in the offseason and the trade was going to go through, and then it didn't go through. So I want to give a caveat with all of this conversation I don't always stay super in depth with some of the injury concerns and health history and all of that stuff. And so I can understand anybody who says, okay, well, you're trading Killian, who's been decent at times. I actually think Marvin Bagley has been decent at times as well. And we've talked around about second round picks for a guy who comes in and may get injured right away. So I get it, but there is something enticing about this in that you get a veteran guard who could really come in and play well. And I I think there's something intriguing about that to me anyway. I would do this straight. I think from a pure asset standpoint, even not even just looking at the one, the court aspect of it, it's an upgrade for the Pistons. You turn two seconds you know, point guard who you may or may not commit to this offseason, and then Bagley, who's been good in his role, but there's also a lot of overlap at the par for a position, especially now that Bogey's back, and Monty said today that, you know, they could play him at the four depending on the matchup. So you have depth there, and you're getting the best player in that deal. You know he can play with K, you know he can play with Ivy, you know he's a veteran, takes care of the ball, he can shoot it, you know, defensively active. Um, that happened the most efficient season so far. He's still shooting the three, well, just his interior game hasn't been as good. But to me, like, this is a trade that raises your floor similar to that Fred Van Fleet trade. You do that, uh, you get another guy on the floor who's been through it, uh, not going to make some of the young team mistakes the Pistons have been prone to. And just somebody to, to organize everything, right? Like, he makes Kay's life easier. He makes everybody's life a bit easier. So I would think that that's a trade the Pistons would, would want to do, or at least look at pretty strongly. Yeah, so he's a 46% career shooter, 39% from three on 4.3 attempts, 88% from the free throw line. This is a really good player. And, you know, again, talking about Marvin Bagley, I do think he's played well, but I think we also have seen some more Isaiah Stewart at the five minutes, Omari, Mm -hmm. and actually moving Marvin Bagley would open up even more minutes for Stu to do that, especially off the bench. So 
barring the injury things, I know there's been a lot of comments about the Pistons training staff. Listen, guys, like I, I, I have no real in-depth understanding of that to even comment on it. I've stayed away from it. If you guys, if, if everybody else, I'm not just talking about the people in the comments, but just in general, if you guys feel like you know exactly and can and see this, like I'll let you do that. For me, I, I don't know how we know how the training staff is or is not handling things. Like I, I just, I don't know how we know that. Resball TV brings up Brogdon only played over 56 games three times in seven years. I, I, I get it. So again, if it's an injury concern, I completely understand if you're out on it. I think the idea of a player like this and adding him to the roster would make a lot of sense, especially with the assets that you were sending out. Yeah, I, I have no, I'm not going to say I have no issue with the injury aspect, but I will say with the guard depth you have, you can fill that spot, you know, with Ivy, Sasser, K, Monse, you still have options there. So it would be more devastating if he were like one of your key cocks. But in this instance, he's more of a supplementary road to what you're trying to build. So if you get 56 games out of Brogdon, I think that's still a pretty substantial upgrade for the Pistons. And then the minutes he's out on the floor, you could just use to develop Ivy. Is that the most efficient use of cap? I don't know. But I think just from a pure player standpoint, it makes sense for Detroit. All right, Russ, what do we got next? All right, so this one is from Resball, and I know you're in the comments here. So a disclaimer, since it <laughs> went so poorly last time, I made this one up based on the specifications he put out on Twitter, okay? Because we had to put something in that was a legit trade. So that's what this is. But it's between the Pistons and the Hawks. The Pistons will get DeAndre Hunter and a second-round pick. The Hawks will get Bojan and Isaiah Livers. Amari, what do you think about that? Real quick, Amari, Resball went way over the top in a good way. Like, this is very much a compliment in a very good way. He was the first one to respond and it was like three comments long. And so I really appreciated that. I think I actually use it like, hey guys, here's an example of what we're looking for. But there was a lot of different names thrown out. So it was hard to just pinpoint one. I think that's where you are at, right? Wes is there's a bunch of names here. We kind of just have to go with one or we may spend the whole podcast talking about just his, which may have been fine. So I think that's what we try to do here. So if we are misrepresenting this, we apologize, but that's kind of where we're at. So Amari, DeAndre Hunter in a second for Boyan and Livers. I would probably do this. DeAndre Hunter is not maybe the strongest shooter you want in that spot, but he's defensively very capable. He can play the three or the four. He can knock down shots. He's not, you know, a non-shooter or anything like that. Uh, he is a guy that can score the ball pretty well. He did shoot 38% from three a couple seasons ago. He's at about 36 now, so definitely a serviceable shooter. I think just to add another two-way wing to this team and maybe clear out, I won't say it's, it's a, a log jam, but you just don't have enough guys in that wing rotation who can do both of those. So I would think about it pretty hard, especially getting a second rounder back along with that. That sweetens the deal. You know, I know that Resbaugh didn't pitch this, but, you know, I would say the Hawks probably think twice about that. Like maybe they just want to get off of Hunter's contract and it's a just a salary dump for them. I'd be curious to see if that's something that Atlanta would want to do. And a lot of that for both teams just depends on what their records are around the trade deadline. Well, and I think what this would be for the Hawks. So DeAndre Hunter's contract is $20 million this year and then 21, 23, and then almost 25. The Hawks are in a cap 
situation, let's say. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk for, yeah, he brings up Jalen Johnson, who I think is awesome. I think Jalen Johnson is really good. And then Sadiq Bey would either have to be signed this summer or let go. Like they're just in a situation. And we talked about the Boyan contract, only 2 million guaranteed, but they could still use Boyan this season to compete and all of that. So I think it makes some sense in regards to that. Career... Hunter has played 67% of his minutes at the small forward and 33% of his minutes at power forward. This is according to basketball reference, which I know isn't always perfect, but it's one of the better ones. And this year, it's closer to 50-50, actually. So I think he actually makes sense with Asar Thompson because I think Asar is a little bit of the same way. Amari, you were the first one that would bring this up almost every episode of... Let's see Asar a little more at the four. Let's see Asar a little more at the four. Let's see Asar a little more at the four. And I think DeAndre Hunter allows you to do that where you can play those guys together and whoever wants to say Asar is the four and whoever wants to say Hunter is the four, that's fine. You, it, both of you are right. It doesn't really matter. But that's a pretty intriguing defensive 3-4 combination there. And if Hunter can space the floor enough, that's really intriguing. You move Stu off the bench, I will say when this first popped up, I was probably going to say no. But the more we've talked about it and looked at it, the more I'm, I'm more intrigued. I really have to look at the numbers in terms of what DeAndre Hunter has done as a shooter, has it improved every year, and what he has as a rebounder. But I'm a little more intrigued than what I thought I was going to be. Yeah. You know, I think with those DeAndre Hunter lineup combinations, it could work with Duran or Isaiah Stewart, right? I think if you put Stu in at the five, you have a star at the four, Hunter in at the three, you get a lot of switchability in that. You get a lot of versatility in two of those guys can shoot. So I just think DeAndre Hunter is a really good fit for this team. He's probably one of the best roster fits of most of the players we've discussed, honestly. And I would say yes to that. Yeah, so DeAndre Hunter, not the most eye-popping, at least box score rebounding number. So that would be something. But I've said, it's not like Boyan is just killing the boards. And again, one thing, one reason why you live with the Sar Thompson's struggling offensive game right now is he rebounds the heck out of the ball. And then obviously Jalen Duran does that as well. So you can have somebody like DeAndre Hunter who maybe doesn't. And I also be interested if, Asar continues to come off the bench to see if Cade Cunningham's rebounding numbers go up. I think it was last game, he had five or six just in the first quarter. And so again, I think Cade is this all-around player who if you start to take some offensive load away from him, he can be a better defender, he can be a better rebounder and those type of things. I don't know that Hunter does that as much as what I would like, but in general, this is one of those moves that's not like star-studded that I'm actually a little bit more interested in. Oh, dog. We have about 10 minutes left. Wes, let's see if we can squeeze two more in here. Yeah, let's get a couple more in. So this one was from Big Dog Pistons on Twitter. It's with the Wizards. So the Pistons would get Kyle Kuzma, who they, I mean, kind of sort of passed on over the summer, right? But the Wizards would get Isaiah Stewart, Joe Harris, and a second-round pick. Bryce, how do you feel about Kyle Kuzma? Listen, I I've said this. It, it was interesting to me. So last episode or two episodes ago, I'm bringing up that this team obviously had a major miscalculation in the offseason, right? They needed to bring in a second bucket getter, all of those things. I brought up Kyle Kuzma as a free agent. And I feel like everybody in the comments was like, no, 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 we don't want Kyle Kuzma. I think Kyle Kuzma would be a great fit on this roster. I really do. I made the mistake of doing this on the Game Theory pod with Sam, and he corrected me, of almost lumping 
Kuzma and Jordan Poole into the same type of like player in terms of they just jack shots and don't do anything else. And it was completely unfair to Kyle Kuzma. I do think that's what Jordan Poole is. I don't think that's what Kyle Kuzma is. Now, is he a high usage guy? Yes. This team needs a high usage bucket getter. Like we've talked about this. So I would really have to reconcile where I'm at with Isaiah Stewart. But I think Kyle Kuzma was overpaying for him this last offseason was probably what this team should have tried to do. And I think I at least have to consider this because at the end of the day, Joe Harris being moved is, is fine. The second round pick I'm okay with for Kyle Kuzma. I need to look while Amari answers at the contract for Kuzma and some of that stuff. But I mean, there's a case to be made here. Yeah, I would think about it really hard. I'd echo Bryce's points about Kuzma just filling a really necessary role as a bucket getter, especially at their weakest position, which of course is the four. I don't think the Pistons, I don't know if the Pistons say yes to this deal. I think they hold Isaiah Stewart in high regard just yeah. from a locker room culture standpoint. And they did pass on Kuzma over the summer. So I don't know if looking at that deal now is more appealing to them or, or, or not. Uh, you know, I do feel pretty confident saying if, you know, if you have Kuzma on this team, you probably snap that, that losing streak one way or another just because he fills a good amount of holes for you. I would think hard about it, maybe close to it, yes. I don't think in real life the Pistons would do it. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like no matter what any of us think, they really feel like Isaiah Sewer is a culture setter and those type of things. So yes, Mike, Kyle Michael says Kuzma is on an insane contract, actually. He got four for 90 but it's decreasing in value. By 2026, 2027, it's down below $20 million. And so it it goes down every single year. Kyle Kuzma right now is 47% from the field and his career 45%. He's 36% from three. That's probably the number that would maybe give me a little bit of pause because... In his career, he's just a 34% three-point shooter. So right now, he's shooting it pretty well. It is on really good volume, but it's at least intriguing. I would definitely have to consider this. I mean, listen, I've probably been one of the biggest people in favor of Isaiah Stewart and believing in the jumper and all of these different things. I also have bought into the culture setter that Isaiah Stewart is. I would like to see that a little bit more. And it's hard as a fan to see that. We're not in the locker room. We're not at practice. We don't hear the huddles. So maybe he is doing those things. All we can go off of is what the organization says. But it, I, I would like to see it being more impactful. I would like to see that. If it is happening, then I think there's an argument not to make this trade. But as you said, when you asked the question, Wes, I, I, I'm in on Kyle Kuzma and how much he would help this team. No doubt. And I will say defensively, I think you probably do take a pretty pretty big hit there, especially since Isaiah's one of the few guys who could probably set the tone on that end of the floor. So also square just how much they like Isaiah Stewart with the on-court impact of what message does that send as far as going defense first. Granted, going defense first hasn't worked out too many wins, so maybe that's a, a complete non-issue in this scenario. Well, here's what I was, and Resball TV brings up, you can't get rid of Stu. Defensive field goal percentage of 40.6. Defensive per 100, 98th percentile. Effective field goal percentage, 96th percentile. So all really impressive numbers for Isaiah Stewart. Listen, the team is still one of the worst defenses in the league, though. So as much love as we give Asar Thompson and Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart, it's still not working. And so... I think there's defense is hard, man. It's hard to definitely hard to go just based off the numbers. 
To be clear, I don't want to trade Isaiah Stewart for Kyle Kuzma. I would have loved to see them just overpay for Kyle Kuzma last offseason. So, you know, maybe it's not the move to make now, but I would at least consider it because I do think there's a huge gap there. To me, the answer still is let Jaden Ivey shoot the ball 15, 16 times a game, and then we don't have to worry about this stuff quite as much. But again, that may not be where the organization is. Let, let, let's get one more here, Amari. Amari, this one's going to you first. It's from Keith B. on Twitter. So we opened up, right, talking pretty generally just about not doing anything, kind of being patient. Well, Keith B. wants to blow it all up. He's saying you fire Troy Weaver, you fire Monty Williams, and you just hold a fire sale, get as many picks as you can for anybody on this roster. So that's including Kate Cunningham, which we brought up before. That'd be Ivy Boyan, whoever you could get picks for. What do you think about kind of pressing the nuclear button here and just, just blowing it up again? No, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I think you got to let this play out a little bit more. And, you know, I think to blow it up would be to acknowledge that the team's fundamentally broken. But I think a team that has the books this clear is not fundamentally broken. You usually see teams like the Bulls who are in the middle with nowhere to go who kind of glow nuclear and blow it all up. Or kind of like Orlando did a few years ago with Vucevic. Uh, the Pistons, like, their cap situation is just so good that, you know, I think you probably keep the young guys who are, are, are you know, worthy of signing to those extensions. You just got Monty in. Of course, it's not the Pistons' money. It's just Tom Gores' money. You know, I don't know if Tom Gores would <laughs> want to set up to $100 million on fire, but, you know, you you never know. But I would say, let's let this play out a little bit more. Let's see where they're at at the trade deadline. I'm just not at the point yet to where I'm just ready to give up on the entire roster. I think there's something there, and they just need some help to get to that next step. I find the trade Cade Cunningham thing interesting. I've seen a lot of trade Cade and everybody else and keep Ivy, Asar, and Durin. And that doesn't make sense. I guess I would be interested to know why. At the end of the day, even if you don't think Cade Cunningham is good, and plenty of people I think are, I, I shouldn't say people don't think he, well, some people don't think he's good. Some people don't think he's a number one. Some people don't think he's a number two. Isn't Cade Cunningham still pretty apparently the best player on this team? Like, I feel like that's pretty fair to say. Why would you trade that guy? I would almost understand it more if you just said, keep Cade and trade everybody else and start from there. Maybe it's because his contract's coming up a little sooner or something. I just find it interesting that it, for some people, it is trade Cade. I also want to say, and I hate to be this guy, we are the same fan base that critiques the organization that gave up too soon on Chris Middleton and Bruce Brown and guys on down the list, but we're going to give up on Cade Cunningham before 100 games? Like, what, what are we doing? That, that's probably what been one of my bigger frustrations so far this year, Amari. Yeah, I don't really get the Trey K train at all. I think some of that's maybe just a reaction to the expectations that were set coming into the season with the Olympic run and hiring Monty and this and that. And, you know, the team as a whole, including K, really had a rough start to the season. The turnovers have improved a little bit. You look at his last 10 games, the efficiency is going up. And with Bogey back, you would expect, you know, Cade's life on offense to continue to get a little easier. And they just don't have enough information on Cade to even decide, to even value him properly, right? I think you have to give a young player enough time to grow into their role. That's, like Bryce said, that's how you give up on a guy too early. And then you look back at your trade package five years later, you're like, why did we accept that? OKC with James Harden. And you look at that trade years out of line and this, yeah, we gave up on this guy. 
too early. So you look at the rest of the roster, I think, before you look at Cade, even if he's not a number one, like let's say he's more of a number two. On some level, he's still your engine. On some level, he's shown that he can do this. And I just don't think you could get equal value back with a guy who's that young. And Keith B says here, kind of defending his, trading Cade for a wealth of assets is different from trading Bruce Brown for a ham sandwich. Very fair, Keith. Very fair that it's not one-to-one. I will just say like, I guess then my answer would be, I'm not ready to completely rebuild this. So Matthew Harrison says, basically, if Cade ends up being a top 20 to 30 player instead of all NBA, the ceiling for the team is first round playoff exits. I would still rather have that guy on the roster to start the rebuild than Ivy, Asar, Duran, who, unless you guys think those guys have a higher ceiling than Cade, then that's a completely different discussion. I guess I would still like to have Cade Cunningham on the roster. And, I would still rather have all of these young guys. Like, to be clear, I would rather keep all of these. I think at the end of the day, we all would. Real quick, before we finish, what do you think about Buddy Hill, Damari? I don't think the Pistons have the right assets. I think they have enough assets. I don't think they have the right assets that they would want to give up. But I think Buddy Hill makes a lot of sense. So I don't like this particular one, Omari, because essentially you're trading one-year rental for one-year rental and all of that. But... I think Buddy Hield would make a lot of sense in terms of a guy that can just get buckets. Yeah, I mean, Buddy Hield to me, is just the perfect fit on this team. Just an unconscious three-point shooter. Somebody who, as soon as they have an inch of room, you know that they're launching it. And Buddy has been probably a top-five shooter in the NBA almost since he stepped into the league. So that's absolutely... If you can snag him and not give up too much because Indiana's just trying to get what they can, to me, that's a no-brainer. Uh, every time I watch this team, I'm just thinking, if only they had, they had a guy who was just could punish defenses every time they helped off. Like, this team has passed up so many threes. Even guys like ahead of a passed up threes, and they just need somebody who could just set the tone, like, launch, launch. He would definitely get open shots with Cade and Bogey on the roster. And I just think if you can get him for not a significant amount of assets, then that's something you have to do. Yeah, that's. I, I just don't think the right assets are there for the Pacers, who are obviously trying to really win. I, I, mean, I think they're going to want something in return. Um, but anyway, I wanted to bring him up real quick. This was really good. Thank you to everybody that submitted any. If we didn't get to them, we apologize. But th- this was really good. It was everything we thought. Episode 99, guys. We have done 99 episodes of the Pistons Pulse, which means next week will be the 100th episode of the Pistons Pulse for Wes and I over at Motor City Hoops. Before we transitioned to the Pistons Pulse, we never ended up getting to 100. So this will be a new milestone for us with all of the stuff we have done, Amari. And I think we're going to look back at our um, New Year's resolutions that we did almost 12 months ago, Amari. I think what we, we hit a lot of those. We did the live show. We did some of those things. And now getting to 100 episodes is pretty special. So thank you to everybody at the Free Press. Thank you to Amari for even wanting to do this. How many ever years ago now, I reached out and said, hey, what do you think about this? So really cool accomplishment for all of us, Wes, everybody involved. Yeah, big shout out to Wes and and Bryce for basically just being great podcasters right out the box, right? Like it took no adjustment. I feel like from day one, we all hit the ground running and that's, you know, largely because of the work these guys do to make everything run smoothly. So, you know, to 100 more and... You know, we'll have to see what resolutions we can put on the calendar for next year. Uh, so with that, I'll close this out. Big thanks to our editor, Robin Chan, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our first editor, Kirk McCrawford. And then also a big shout-out to Wes, and we'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.